If you're new to City Church, welcome. My name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here. Glad that you're with us. Just got back from a little vacation with my family, so um, it's good to uh, see you all again. I missed you very much. Did you guys have fun while I was gone, though? Yeah, I heard great things about all the different things God's been doing, and Mike's sermon last week, and Nancy's sermon the week before, and it's just exciting to see all the Lord's doing. I want to share just one passage of Scripture with you today, one verse from the Bible today. And then we're going to dive into our baptism service. This is such an exciting service to be a part of. I'm so glad you're with us. I want to read from Luke chapter 12. These are the words of Jesus, okay? The words of Jesus, the Son of God. He says this to his people in verse 32. And if you've placed your faith in Christ, these words belong to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Look at it again. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Would you pray with me this morning? Father in heaven, I thank you for the revelation of your nature. I thank you that you are who you say you are. I pray that today that you would cut through all of the distractions in our minds and that we would see you in Jesus. Speak to us today and let us never be the same. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know how old you are and what your your experience has been. For me, it started in my early 30s where I began to realize that my physical body was not doing all the same things it was doing when I was in my 20s. All right? And so, if I'm honest, as a teenager, I turned my life over to Jesus, had a transformative experience in terms of following God, and I became very spiritually uh, focused, you know, exercising my spiritual discipline so that I could stay healthy in following God. And then I really took from there mental focus very seriously, so I became mentally focused. But it wasn't until my 30s, I know this is not a good thing, I'm just being honest, it wasn't until I was about 29, 30 years old that I realized I had to take my physical fitness seriously as well. I kind of neglected it through my 20s, and then I can remember like hitting 30 years old, don't know if this ever happened to you, and I like, I woke up, and I hurt myself while I was sleeping, you know, and it was like, why does my back hurt? All I did was sleep, you know, it was just like, like something shifted in my body where it was like, okay, I got to take this seriously. For the last couple years, I'm 34 now, for the last few years, I've been trying to figure out what works for me, you know, and so I tried like running, and running's just not my thing, I don't want to run, I tried biking, and Biking is not really my thing either. And so I've tried all these different things. And so now I have this exercise routine that I, that I enjoy and that I feel like is helpful for me and is, is you know, growing me physically so I get stronger. But every time I go on vacation, those of you who know my family, <clears throat> I lost my voice a little bit shouting so much during first service. But every time I go on vacation, my brother-in-law owns a gym. And so I go to his gym and I kind of learn a little bit. Actually, I learned a lot from him and sort of the, the routines they do at their gym. So just this past two weeks, I was down in Florida and spent some time with him and the guys there at the gym. And, you know, they're all coaching me and stuff, and I'm learning from them. And it was great. I mean, I learned a ton of stuff. But, like, day one was rowing, you know, so we had the rowers out, and we're, we're rowing. And, and I'm a decent rower because I'm tall, and so I kind of cheat, you know, because my arms are longer, so I get more bang for my buck. So I was doing pretty good with rowing. I was okay with that. And we did deadlifts and squats, all these different movements and I was okay 
I mean, they were, they were tweaking me as we went. But, uh, but things got tough when we hit one exercise that required a significant amount of pull-ups, okay? Now, pull-ups are a pretty basic move. Many people can do pull-ups, but for me, they just haven't been part of my workout routine. And so the workout was like you do 20 pull-ups, then you do this row, then you do a run, then you do 20 pull-ups, then a row, then a run, then 20 pull-ups, then a row, then a row. Okay, so you have to do 60 pull-ups, all right? So the other guys in the gym, you know, they're kipping the pull-ups, they're butterfly. If you know much about the different methods of pull-ups and stuff, they're doing all these things. I don't know how to do any of those things, so I'm just like, well, I guess I'll just do strict pull-ups, you know? 60 strict pull-ups. Well, I got through about 10 and realized that my arms were going to fall right out of the sockets. You know, like it was like, this is not a good, this is not a good thing. So the exercise starts and just the first 20 pull-ups, now I'm like way behind because I'm like taking breaks. I'm like, pull-ups are kind of hard, you know, and like, and the other guys in the gym, my wife's there, my father-in-law's there. You guys see this, okay? It's like 25 people. They're all on the rowers. That's the second part. They're on the rowers. I'm still on the pull-ups, you know? And so then I'm like, all right, that's fine. I'm fast rower. I'll catch up. So I jump on the rower and I'm trying to catch up and then we get to the run and we're trying to know. So by the second time, I'm like pretty far behind now because now I got 20 pull-ups again and they're like kipping their pull-ups they're flying I'm like you know single pull-ups dying my arms are like you know like this they feel like jello you know it's nothing's right by the third round I get to my wife is done she's like wiping her face drinking water you know my father-in-law who's 57 is done sitting down on the side everyone else in the class is done and it's me and this 80 year old lady (laughs) working it. I'm not even kidding. It's totally true. And we're like, and I'm like, oh, this is, this is embarrassing. So I finish, I finish and I pull my brother-in-law aside. I'm like, so you got to help me with my pull-ups, man. I'm not very good with pull-ups. And so he pulls me aside and we're working on our pull-ups and he's like, man, you know, you're doing basically everything wrong. You know, your arms are not, you know, they're too close. Your, your body's in the wrong position. The way you're gripping the bar is not correct. And so he's tweaking everything that I'm doing with my pull-ups. And basically what he was telling me is he was saying, you're limiting your potential by the way that you're approaching the exercise. You're limiting your potential by the way that you're approaching the exercise. Your form is limiting your possibilities. Go ahead and turn to the person next to you and tell them your form is limiting your possibilities. This is one of the big problems in our world. The form that we take in life, it's not necessarily what you have to take on. Some of us will have big trials and small trials and all different types of things. It's not the weight that you're carrying, it's the way you're carrying it. Your form is limiting your possibilities. Some of us, you're here and you're in a cycle of sin. And you don't want to be, but you find yourself in it. And you've come to God maybe dozens of times and said, God, I'm going to try harder. You ever prayed that prayer? This time, I promise, I won't go back. And then you find yourself going back and going back and going back. See, the problem is not the sin you're trying to conquer. It's your form. It's the way you're approaching the exercise that needs to be changed. Some of us in the room, you're battling with a, with a fear, with a depression, with an anxiety, and you've tried all different types of things, and you feel far from God. And you say, Justin, I just don't know why I feel so far from God. Well, I have really good news for you today. The coach is here. Jesus, the very spirit of Jesus, the great coach is here, and he's here to correct your form. Isn't that good news? He's here to correct your form. And so in Luke chapter 12, 
Jesus is showing us how our form becomes deformed when we think about him the wrong way, okay? And so if you read the whole chapter, which we won't do today, if you read the whole chapter, what you would find is in Luke chapter 12, he hits all the big fears in our life. And he starts with the fear of death. I don't know if you've ever felt that fear of death. Some of you might say, well, I'm not really afraid to die. And then you get diagnosed with something and panic fills your heart, you know? You're like, oh, oh, oh." and and, and it's fear. It's real fear. Jesus says there's something worse than death. He says hell is is worse than death and I'm going to free you from hell and so you don't have to be afraid of death because death loses its sting when you know where you're going. Okay, And so first he takes on the fear of death, and then he goes into the fear of people's opinions. What if people reject me? What if people don't accept me? And he says, you don't have to be afraid of people's opinions if you're eternally accepted by the one who means the most, who's God himself. And then he goes into that passage you probably heard in Luke 12, where it says, do not worry about your life. Like, what a broad statement. Like, really? Do not worry about your life. Do not worry about what you'll put on or what you'll eat. Life is more than food and clothing. He says, don't worry about the necessities of life. And some of us, if you're honest, you know that fear. You've sat down, you got all the bills out at the kitchen table, and you're doing the math, and what's in the account doesn't add up to what needs to go out, and that panic starts to fill your heart. You felt that before? That anxiety where it's like, Okay, I can't breathe now. That fear. Jesus says you don't have to fear that lack. And it's in this context as he addresses these three major fears. Fear of dying, fear of lack, fear of rejection. That we find verse 32 where he specifically deals with what many theologians have called the great lie. He says it like this in Luke 30 verse 32 chapter 12. Fear not little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What he's trying to do there is show you that underneath the surface, you and I, every one of us, battles with one great lie. It's the lie that Eve believed in the garden. It's the lie that Judas believed when he traded Jesus for 20 pieces of silver. It's the lie that David believed when he was unfaithful with Bathsheba. It is at the very core of every act of fear. It is the lie that informs a fear of death. It is the lie that informs a fear of lack. It is a lie that informs the fear of rejection. This great lie can simply be stated like this. God cannot be fully trusted. That's the lie. That's the great lie that your mind and your heart have been whispering to you for decades. God cannot be fully trusted because I'm just not sure he's got my best interest at heart. I believe he's there, but a lot of times he feels far away. I believe he exists, but sometimes I'm not understanding why he does things, and I'm just not sure of his intentions for me. Therefore, God cannot be fully trusted. And it's that lie that Jesus goes after in verse 32 when he says, fear not little flock. Now, most of us don't like being called a flock, right? 
But he's not talking about geese or pigeons. He's talking about sheep. It's an analogy that the scripture uses from beginning to end. He's saying that you are his flock and that he is your shepherd. And so Jesus is telling you that he has a unique relationship with you by which you shall not want. He's going to lead you to green pastures like Psalm 23 says. He's going to lead you to still waters. He promises for you, this is your promise, to restore your soul, to lead you in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And when you go through the valley, you don't have to be afraid because he'll go with you and you never have to fear that he'll leave you because your cup is going to overflow and he's going to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He's going to anoint you and he's going to be with you all the days of your life to bless you and then he's going to give you eternal life forever. That's the promise. Fear not little flock. Fear not little flock. And then he says this, it's your father. Somebody say father. Now he could have said it's my father's. That would have been true. But he wants you to understand that this is the relationship that he wants you to have with God. That God, yes, is the judge, yes, is the king, yes, is the ruler, but first, if you trust him, he's your father. It's your father's, and this is for me the most important part, good pleasure to give. Now, that little phrase, good pleasure, means, in the Greek, it means deepest delight. Stay with me today. Deepest delight, okay? Think about it like this. I will eat chicken. Anybody like chicken in the room? Yeah, I'll eat chicken. I'll eat chicken. I'll even, I'll eat salad. Anybody tolerate salad in the room? Yeah, nobody likes salad, but we tolerate salad. Yeah, I I eat salad. But if you want to talk about my good pleasure, don't give me salad. If you want to talk about my deepest delight, don't give me chicken. Give me a Cajun patty melt burger from Prime 16. That's what I want. And if you put that on my plate, my soul will rejoice in the Lord. I'll say, yes, I enjoy this. It's my deepest delight. See, there's a difference between what you tolerate and what you deeply enjoy. What God is saying about himself, this is a revelation of the very core of his nature, that God is not tolerating you. He deeply delights in you. He deeply delights to do something specific for you. It's his delight to give you the kingdom. You don't have to wrestle it out of his hands. You don't have to convince him that you're good enough. He deeply delights. This is God. See, you've had a wrong picture of God for so long. And because you're thinking about him wrongly, it has deformed your form and it's limiting your potential. Come on, somebody. you got to see him for who he is. It's his, I've been gone for two weeks. It's all bottled up inside. It's his deepest delight. It's his deepest delight to give you the kingdom. And what's the kingdom? The kingdom is forgiveness of sins. The kingdom is acceptance in him. The kingdom is eternal life. The kingdom is that you'll judge angels, inherit the earth, that you've been given a place of standing before God that is blameless in Christ. These are all the kingdom, but the kingdom means even more than that. The kingdom means that God, for all eternity past, has been in perfect union in relationship with himself. God is community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the love that the Father has for the Son and the Son has for the Father is beyond measure and without limit. And what the scripture tells us is that when we accept Christ, his kingdom comes to dwell inside our hearts. And now the Father sees the Son in you so that he can therefore pour out into you his immeasurable love and infinite acceptance and expanding capacity forever. This is the kingdom, that the kingdom is that you experience the triune glory of the Trinity in your own heart. 
That's what God has for you. He has perfect joy. And so you say, well, that's great for heaven. No, no, no. It's great for now. You can taste it now. And so people would say, well, how, Justin? How do I experience that joy, that kingdom? Some would say you have to prove yourself. Prove yourself by doing good deeds, right? We've all tried that. Be a moral person. Stop lying. Stop drinking. Stop deceiving. Stop blah, blah, blah. Stop, stop, stop. How's that going for you? Well, the problem is if you try to prove that you're good enough for God, you only have one of two things. One is you fail and you always feel ashamed. That's one way, and that doesn't get you closer to God. Two is that you succeed in being such a good person and you become arrogant and proud and puffed up and the proud cannot hear, cannot reach God. So if you get to God on your good merits, you haven't actually reached God at all. And so that's not the way to get there. Others would say, well, then I'm going to kind of create my own path of morality. I'm going to choose what's good for me. Not what the Bible says. I'm going to choose what's good for me. I'm not going to go by his rules of this or that. I'm just going to go by my rules and kind of figure out my own way and self-discover and understand who I am. And the problem is when you do that, you end up inventing a God that looks less like the creator and more like you. And you end up worshiping not God, but yourself. And I'll tell you a thousand times over that self-worship just leads to emptiness. Emptiness. And some of you, you've been seeking happiness for so long and wondering why it's so elusive. And it's because it can't be found in anywhere but in a pursuit of holiness. And so that's not the solution either. So God gives us a third path to himself, not self-effort and not self-discovery, but instead what many theologians have called the great exchange. You've got the great lie that God can't be fully trusted and the great exchange. And the great exchange is this, that his son tastes death on the cross so that he can freely exchange places with you and give you eternal life so that you never have to be afraid of death. His son experiences lack in this life so that he can give you an abundance of grace forever. His son experiences rejection in this life so that you can know forever that you are eternally accepted in him. This is the great exchange that God took the one who had no sin, that's Jesus, and made him sin on the cross so that in him you might be God's righteousness. He took your place so that you could take his place and now you can sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven, forgiven, free healed and beloved that is the gift of the Lord to you and don't misunderstand how we receive it it says it's your father's good pleasure to what balcony it's your father's good pleasure to give 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 in other words you don't earn it you don't deserve it it is a free gift just like a little kid I have three have no problem receiving from their father they don't say no 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 dad let me prove you I'm worthy of that lollipop no they they just say I'll take it right now It's your father's good pleasure to give the only way to experience this joy and this life and this kingdom is to accept it like a child. That's the only way, is you just have to receive it. And something happens inside your heart when you become convinced of God's goodness towards you. I am telling you today, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, and for once and for all, he's trying to speak to you about who he really is. You might say, well, I'm confused. Is God hate me? Is God against me? Is God far from me? Fear not, little flock, says Jesus, the Supreme Court. The one who came is the exact representation of God's nature. Whenever you're confused about who God is, look to the person of Jesus. He'll bring clarity. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's the heart of God for you. And when you believe in his goodness towards you, something happens inside of you 
that is so liberating. Take a look at it with me. If you're not little flock, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Look at the next verse. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, what he's saying is, he's saying once you know that God's heart and intention for you is good, now you can live your life with an open hand because you're no longer afraid of lack. You're no longer afraid of death. You're no longer afraid of rejection because the one that matters most has accepted you. Come on, that's the power of the gospel. Here's your little nugget for today. Little nugget. You can jot it down if you want. Grace corrects my grip. Grace corrects my grip. Grace corrects my grip. If you are not gripping life through grace, then you have bad form. And that bad form will always limit your potential. It will stop your possibilities. But when you grip life through the lens of God's grace towards you, then the limitless possibilities are now available to you in Jesus. This is the power of God's word for you. And so today, today is Baptism Sunday. What is baptism? Yeah, we can, that's exciting. What is baptism? Baptism is simply this, to be clear. Baptism is the public step of faith into this life of grace. That's what it is. It is a public step of faith into a life of grace with God. And so in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, it tells us this about baptism. Look at it. It says, or don't you know? And I think some of us, maybe you came in today and you didn't know this. You didn't even know that you could know Christ. You didn't even know that you could have a relationship with your creator. You didn't know that he's already forgiven you if you'll receive him by faith. Or do you not know, it says, do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? In other words, that this act puts you in that relationship. It says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. So baptism is an act of faith. Now we know that we're saved by our faith in Christ, not by our act of baptism. But baptism is the first act of obedience that we follow Christ in after we've placed our faith in him. Okay? Now in the New, in the New Testament, Jesus tells his disciples to go into all the world and to preach the gospel and make disciples. And then he says that the first thing they should do after they've agreed to say yes to Christ is they should be baptized. Now, in our culture today, we've taken on all different types of versions of baptism. And at City Church, what we've done is we've sought to just pursue what we would see as the most biblical New Testament model for baptism, okay? I know that sometimes in various churches, if you want to be baptized, you have to go through a class and, and go to... And I understand the intentions of that is to teach people the basics, and I understand that. That's good. But I don't... There's no mention of a class in the New Testament. It doesn't say, therefore, be saved, go to a six-week class and be baptized. It doesn't say that. It just says, be saved and be baptized. That's what it says. I know that in our culture, many times people get baptized as a baby, and I think that oftentimes the intentions of the parents are good in that. I don't think they're bad intentions, but what we see in the scripture is what we would call believer's baptism, and what that means is that the person that is being baptized is making a decision for themselves to say, you know what, I am obeying Christ and following him in baptism. And so here's what we're going to do today. If you're here today and you have not said yes to Jesus, and the band, you guys can come out if you want to come. We're going to just sing in just a minute. If you're here today and you've not said yes to Jesus, I want to tell you that right now you picked a good day to come to church. Because today is your day to turn your life over to Christ. 
All across the room, would everybody just stand there, stand on their feet with me today? We're going to take a moment and pray. And I want you just for a moment to bow your head and close your eyes. And I would ask you just to do that out of humility and reverence. I don't know your story or all the details of your life, even what brought you here today, but I do know this, that God's arms are open to you right now, that his hands are open to you, and he invites you to come. Maybe you've come to God through human effort, and you have failed so many times, and you're ashamed. Or maybe you've come and you've done so well for yourself and you don't think you need a savior. Either way, I'll tell you this, human effort cannot get you to God. Maybe you've made up your own way, come up with your own rules, decided what's right and wrong for yourself, and you're a living testimony that it just leads to emptiness. There's a third way, and it's the cross. Jesus became your representative so that you could be accepted before God. And when you humble yourself like a child and receive forgiveness of sins, he puts inside of you the Holy Spirit and empowers you to live a life that honors him. Would you come to him right now? I don't know what your story is, but I do know that God calls you right now, right here, right now. He stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. Why wouldn't you open the door? If you say, Justin, today I'm far from God and I need to take the the step of faith to come close, would you stick your hand up in the air right now? Say, that's me. That's me. That's me. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. That's me. That's me. Anybody else? You can put your hands down in the balcony, in the back. Anybody? Say, that's me. This is my time. I need to place my faith in Christ. I need to surrender fully. I need to take that step of faith. All those that raise your hand, let me pray with you today. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer of surrender. Just say, Jesus, save me. You can whisper it to him right now. I believe you died and rose again for my sins. And I receive new life. Take my life. I place my faith in you. Thank you for accepting me now. Thank you for accepting me now. Amen.